Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum. And in this HR Chat, we're going to delve into ways to influence leadership behaviors to drive organizational outcomes with continuous feedback. And we'll ask how we can better measure behaviors to grow a culture of feedback and accountability. My guest this time is Alexander Schwul, PhD, co-founder and chief science officer at Rabbit Analytics. And before founding Rabbit, Alexander worked in HR consulting, where he gained a profound understanding of the needs and expectations of talent leaders. Alexander also guides all product implementation with Rabbit's clients and consults them on how to analyze, understand, and use their Rabbit data. Alexander, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Hello, Bill. Please start by telling our listeners a bit about yourself, your your background, and what you get up to. All right. That sounds good. I'm an industrial organizational psychologist. I worked for quite a while, the beginning of my career in consulting. So I've got to build a lot of things, everything from assessment centers to personality tests to uh, cognitive ability tests, stuff you would use in, in uh, selection of employees. And uh, I also worked with uh, clients in the trenches implementing all of these things. So I'd like to believe I've seen a little bit of both, building things, making sure that they work, and then actually using them with uh, with clients in real-world settings. And uh, in 2017, we started Rabbit. We wanted to do something new. And ever since, we've been working on um, yeah on this project. Wonderful. Thank you very much. So tell our listeners a bit about Rabbit Analytics then. What, what does it do and how does it help? All right. Well, in a, in a nutshell, we built a tool that makes it very, very easy for people to give and receive feedback. And we do this in a psychologically safe way. Um, psychological safety and feedback is important for, for both parties, really, for the feedback provider. So they need to feel like they can be candid and honest and actually tell the truth. Uh, but it's also important for the feedback recipient so that they feel that the feedback is about work-related behaviors and not about their person, that this is not a personal attack or something like that. So for them to embrace the feedback, they need to be certain that this is legitimate and useful and not about you know them as a person, but about things that they do at work. And if that's, if that's a given, if this is established, then people can use this feedback and our users do to you know, develop uh, professionally, but also personally. Our clients use this feedback as aggregated data to inform their uh, talent management agenda and figure out you know, what to do with their employees, get, a, get good insights in terms of what needs to be developed, and also inform strategically their senior leadership. So that's kind of the, the, the super quick elevator uh, summary of what we do. Okay, thank you very much. So let's, let's not now start going through this journey together then and, uh, and talking about how the right types of employee feedback delivered in the right ways can, can make big differences to, to organizations. Um, yeah. To begin, what would you say to a leader who wants to change the culture of their organization but doesn't really know where to start? And you know, before we get into the clever technology, what I'm specifically talking about here is is their mentality, um, their their approach, uh, the the conversations and the strategies that they're going to need to employ. Um, yeah, this this is this is a really good question, and, and the way you frame it, I, I really like it because that's that's thinking about what what they want to accomplish. That's really the the, the, the first thing that, that they need to do. Forget the methods, like think about what it is that they want to do. Like 
the first thing that I establish with with clients is to to figure out what culture really is. Uh, culture is in the end a you know a set of behaviors, a code of conduct that people need to follow in your organization, um, ideally universally. So once once that is established, uh, usually clients are on the right track because they understand it is not about coming up with a bunch of cultural values and printing them on t-shirts and mugs and walls and whatnot. It is about behaviors. And to establish these behaviors, uh, we found that there are three things that are just absolutely critical. Um, you, you cannot establish behavior by decree. It's not enough to you know, uh, print little booklets and hand those out to people or print it in, in, your, print it in, your, in your lobby on, on a piece of glass. It is about uh, observing them. And what observation does is set the expectation that these behaviors are, are critical and expected. So it starts with the organization, uh, with the organization's leaders, with the, with the very uh, top level of the organization. They need to demonstrate the behaviors uh, on a regular basis. I'll give you an example, like one of our clients wanted to move from a uh, failure is not an option culture to a more nimble or innovative culture um, where a little bit more experimentation takes place, right? So um, failure is not an option sounds theoretically like a good idea, but it often leads to, um, you know, a culture in which people, you know, engage in heavy, like, you know, CYA strategies where nobody's responsible for anything. If anything goes wrong, people will not take responsibility and stay away, and they certainly will not take risks. So um, in, in order to, to demonstrate how to do it instead, the leaders of this company and the CEO specifically started talking about his own failures and, and talk about what he did wrong and what lessons he learned from them um, just to show that this is something that they do. So people were able to observe that and understand that. The second part is support. So what they made sure is that when somebody comes up with an innovative idea, with a novel idea, that this was supported by the senior leadership so that people See, it's not just lip service. It's not just, you know, a one-time thing. This is actually something that is, again, supported by leaders. And then the third element is rewards and recognition. So once people engage in a new behavior, do they get, you know, maybe not formally rewarded, but do they get recognized for that? Do people point this out? And the flip side of that token, of course, is do people not get punished for doing the new thing? So if somebody tries something new and it fails, are they getting yelled at for that, or is this something that the company, uh, you know, recognizes, supports um, in, in in some way? So these these three elements, um, you know, there are books written about this. There are a lot of a lot of uh, you know recommendations on on how to do this. But if you follow these three basic rules, I think culture cultural change is not as hard as it may seem. It just has to be very consistent and and contain these three elements. Okay, so a leader and employees are, are, are following these cultural rules, these three tenants, if you like, um, and uh, you know they, they've got high hopes, but invariably, Alexander, things can go wrong. Of course, yeah, um, they, they can be they can be barriers towards to, to success. What are some of those obstacles that you often see at Rabbit? What are some of those reoccurring issues? And and specifically, I'd be keen to hear. How how they have changed and and uh, and manifested themselves since the the outbreak of COVID. Yeah, so the the um, 
like a very common thing, and this is this is not connected to COVID, but it's just so uh, it happens so often that that I, I want to call this out, and that is you know picking too many things that you want to change. So one of our clients had identified over thirty cultural values that they wanted to implement. That was an insane number, uh, and we told them that. But even a more normal number, like five to eight, is something that is a lot. If cultural change needs to happen, my recommendation is focus on one thing. That's maybe a radical idea here. Take take one thing and one thing only. Focus on that. Change that. And if that's successful, by all means, next time around, you know, go nuts. After a couple of months, uh, do do two or three. But the first time you do it, focus on one thing, set a priority. This will keep this front and center for everybody. In the COVID situation, to answer that part of your question, we felt that during the um, interactions that you have with your, with your employees, managers often have the opportunity to give feedback. They often have the opportunity to take somebody aside, you know, have a conversation um, in the hallway or across a cubicle wall and and you know give people a little bit of feedback a little bit of information all of that was basically eradicated with covid where people working from home if you would want to spontaneously give somebody co uh, feedback you would have to you know pick up the phone or go on slack or go on microsoft teams and then talk to them so that became a little bit unnatural so the the um the the, the feedback component i think especially the informal quick feedback that people used to receive has largely gone by the wayside. And that is, um, I find, a huge problem because in, in terms of cultural change, the, the feedback is, you know, going back to my earlier theme of the reward and recognition and the support, this is the mechanism through which you um, implement these two, these two elements where you take somebody's side and say, hey, uh, good job coming up with this new thing, uh, well done, or, um, Hey, you you really erred on the side of of caution here with this. You have license to be a little bit more um, innovative, a little bit more risk seeking with this. So this, all of this has, has, you know, COVID and, and working from home for many of us has made that a lot harder to receive these little micro adjustments that managers used to be able to provide. So that's a real problem. I think attitudes have maybe changed towards. Uh, people data towards the the use of people analytics on a day to day basis and all the rest mm -hmm. of it since since we started doing the HR chat show way back in 2016 when mm -hmm. certainly to small small to medium sized organisations they found it very foreign and um, not too far away from these vague concepts of AI and the termination and all the rest of it um, I, I think we've come a long way since then but but yeah. people can still see people data as as being a bit cold and a bit of a um, cold way to measure performance and engagement. So yeah. how, how do you think we can make HR analytics better understood and more friendly and, and, and to tie it with the, the, the need for, for um, being able to adjust and adapt and react at the right times and also connecting that with the right benefits, the right mentorship strategies and so on? Yeah, I think that's, that's a... Uh... Very important question. There's there's a certain creep factor, right? There's a certain creepiness to to the analytics, especially when you employ, uh, you know, statistical methods like artificial intelligence and all of these things, where you can predict things that that people 
you know, maybe doing in the future. And that stage, things get really, really tricky to, to you know, communicate. I think a key ingredient to make this palatable to your workforce, to make this something that doesn't feel foreign and doesn't feel cold, as you described it, is to be just radically transparent about this. Um, to to not use this to make sh- make sure that people understand we're not using this against you. We're using this in the context of making this place a better place to work. Um, and I think there are many many opportunities to to do that. Um, you know you can you can communicate how data is being used. You can explain to people uh, what will happen with these data points. What kind of level of anonymity um, is is being applied to that and People who are concerned about that will listen. Some people will not care, but those are not the people with the hearts and minds you have to change. But the people who do care, they will absorb this this information very carefully. And at, at Rabbit, um, we provide a lot of data. We collect a lot of data about people, and we collect a lot of feedback, which then is turned and aggregated into data. Um, one successful strategy that we have used is to make sure that data is always the beginning of a conversation, not the end of a conversation. So if we learn something about a person, we share this with this individual, like all of the feedback is of course shared, otherwise what would be the point? Um, But we also make sure that this is not, you know, seen as a final grade, you know, this is your end of the semester type of evaluation. This is how you've, how you've, how you did in this, you know, fiscal year or whatnot. We uh, we position this as as a compass needle. If you get feedback, we treat it as a compass needle that tells you, okay, you need to adjust course a little bit, you need to change course a little bit, uh, or you're going in the right direction. Everything is fine, and we use this as praise. But the the, the key thing is, it is never in in uh, you know end of like a performance conversation is always used as guidance for the future, for the time to come. And that takes out the coldness, right? This this makes this conversation a little bit more about growth and development. And if managers do this right, there can be a lot of caring in there as well. And the caring is the best antidote against people being cynical about this data. That's when they start to understand that this is about me. This is in in in, in my best interest to to engage in this. And it's in you know it's something that could be helpful for me. Could it also be helpful, Alexander, for for contingent workers um, and for for gig workers? You know, we, we've seen a big rise in the number of contingent and gig workers over the course of the last eighteen months, um, and a lot of that was was caused by people losing jobs or deciding that it was the right time to reevaluate their careers and what they wanted to do and go independent and 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 so on. Um, can we can we deploy some of these technologies, some of these strategies to communicate with those people who are not? you know, traditional employees, but perhaps want to feel more engaged, more connected. Um, they're, they're, they'd like to build a longer term relationship with a company and therefore yeah. having options for two-way dialogue will be useful for them. Absolutely. I think I think gig workers could be benefiting from this proportionally more than people in a, you know, let's call a traditional, more stable career. In, in, in a gig role, I would imagine many of these individuals uh, use this as a jumping off point, as a uh, temporary, um, maybe not temporary, but certainly not permanent state that they want to be in. 
So either they want to uh, use this as a way to get into more permanent roles, or they want to use this as a growth experience to um, qualify or be ready for the next challenge. And in all of these situations, you know, personal growth and professional growth are top of mind. You know, how can I be uh, a better collaborator in a corporate environment? And, you know, in order to develop that, in order to grow that, feedback is critical. You may not know what you're doing wrong. You may not understand where you're not meeting certain behavioral expectations. And without feedback, you will tragically just be you know, doomed to repeat the same mistakes over and over again. But with the right feedback, I think they can benefit a lot from that. I, I absolutely believe that anybody will benefit from it. But uh, for, for contingent, contingent workers, I think the, the benefit may be even bigger. We are almost at the end of this interview already, Alexander. Before we All wrap right. things up, this flew by, um, yeah. I'd love to... It's gone fast, right? We'll have to do it again soon. Um, before, before we do wrap things up then, I'm going to challenge you now in 60 seconds or less, sir. Can you, can, you, can you share with our listeners from what we've spoken about so far today, how can we better measure behaviors to grow a culture of feedback and why does it make a difference to a company's success? Companies, we are focused on efficiency of the work that we provide of the productivity of our workers. What we have lost sight of is that we have constantly grow and develop and better ourselves because the world is changing and our work demands are changing. In order to keep up with any of that, we need to be able to have feedback and understand what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. If we have feedback, we can use what I would call a superhuman, a human superpower, and that is learning from our own mistakes. We don't know what mistakes we're making. We cannot learn from them. We have to repeat them. So let's let's make sure that people have feedback to understand what they're doing right and what they're doing not so well. Those who don't learn from their mistakes of their past are doomed to repeat them. There we go, that, listeners. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> hey, Alexander, before we, before we do finish for today, how can our listeners connect with you? So whether that's uh, email, your LinkedIn, um, maybe your uber cool and you're all over tiktok and instagram and places and also how can they learn more about all the cool things happening over at rabbit analytics well the the easiest way to find me is on our website rabbit analytics and that is you know not the the the, the bunny rabbit it is uh, the word habit with an r in front so our habit analytics.com um that's that's a great way to find me if you want to find me i'm on uh, linkedin um, just look for my name, Alexander Schwal. I'm, I'm happy to connect and, and respond. But those are, I think, probably the two best ways to get in touch with me. Perfect. Well, that just leaves me to say for today, Alexander, thank you very much for joining me on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Yeah, thanks for having me. That was a delight. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working and please do continue to stay safe. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette.